Hi, I'm Edwin. And I'm Andrew. Two men. Fifteen minutes. Eternal impact. Welcome to Text Talk. His glory I will see. I will Good morning. Welcome to Text Talk. We're so glad that you listened in. Edwin, does future you miss me yet? Yes, future me misses you. I know that when this episode airs and you are no longer coming into the office every day for us to see each other, I will be missing you as I can only talk to Andrew. How are you going to carry on? By the grace of the Lord God. Amen. Carry on, brother. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, yeah, this is your last day with us. And so uh, there's some sadness with that, but super excited that we've been able to spend the summer together and looking forward to what God will do through you as you work for him and with him. And so let's talk about Acts chapter 23 as we wrap up our time together. We shall. Acts chapter 23, I'm going to be reading beginning in verse 23 all the way to the end of the chapter. I am reading from the English Standard Version. Then he called two of the centurions and said, Get ready 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix the governor. And he wrote a letter to this effect. Claudius Lysias to His Excellency the Governor Felix. Greetings! This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them with the soldiers and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman citizen. And desiring to know the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council. I found that he was being accused about questions of their law, but charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. And when it was disclosed to me that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers also to state before you what they have against him. So the soldiers, according to their instructions, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. And on the next day they returned to the barracks, letting the horsemen go on with him. When they had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they presented Paul also before him. On reading the letter, he asked what province he was from, and when he learned that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive. And he commanded him to be guarded in Herod's Praetorium. Thank you for doing that, Edwin. I would like to point out here that there is something fishy going on. Okay, what what do you got there? (laughs) Looking at Claudius and his interesting greetings and his letter that he writes here, he says in verse 27, This man was seized by the Jews, and I rescued him. He rescued him. (laughs) That's interesting. Very wonderful, benevolent tribune. (laughs) That's right. I believe that that brother believes what he just said. Um, (laughs) That's an inside joke between Edwin and Andrew and I. But like I said, something fishy going on here, and... He says that he rescued him. That's not exactly how I remember this account. Is this how you remember this account? I don't think that's exactly how it happened. When you go back, it's a little different than than the way he's expressed it in this letter. What are you seeing there? What I see is that they have seized Paul in Acts chapter 21. They drag him into the temple, and they're getting ready to beat this guy. And then they learn he proclaims that he's a Roman citizen and that he has been unjustly treated and it's then at this point that they realize that they can't beat him and that they have no right to do that and then they begin questioning him but what it looks like here in acts chapter 23 is that claudius may even believe in his own mind that he's the hero that has swooped in to save this innocent roman citizen from being snagged by the jews and beaten within an inch of his life or something like that but uh 
I don't know if that's what's really going on there. Yeah. So some of the pronouns there may have gotten a little bit confusing. They seized him was the Jews seized him, and right. they're ready to beat the guy. And then they came and took him. That's the Romans. Uh, that's the Tribune coming. But it's not. It's not, oh, wait a minute. That's a Roman citizen. I've got to protect him. They see a guy. In fact, he thought he may have been an assassin. Oh, yeah, that's right. And so he's so he's arresting him, and then the Roman Tribune is going to beat him to get out of him. Here's what's going on. And, and Paul says, hold on, I'm a Roman citizen. And that's when, that's when he really figures it out. Even though Paul had said even before that that he was a citizen of Tarsus, which should have clued the Tribune in on his Roman citizenship. So Claudius is writing this letter, and... So, so here, let me share with you what I, what my mind thinks about as I'm looking at this, and you can let me know whether you're on board with me or if you've got a different perspective on it. But I, so, first of all, at, at worst, Claudius is lying. Now we often don't think about it as lying because it's just a little bit of a twist here and a little bit of a manipulation of what happened there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is true that the Jews were going to kill him. It looked like, and it is true that the. Romans came in and swooped in and took him away, which which did save him from the Jews in that moment. And, of course, he does that again in the council meeting. So, so all of that's kind of true. And it is true that he learned that Paul was a Roman citizen at a certain point. And, but it didn't happen the way he said. He makes it sound like he had learned Paul was a Roman, and so he came in and saved him rather than the order that we just described a minute ago. That's a lie. It's just not true. It's not the way it happened. Why would Claudius present it like this? Because he's trying to put himself in the best light. And we do that. I do that. I do that all the time. I, I When I tell stories, especially if there's some disagreement and I'm trying to give my defense to someone else, I... I can, you know, it's not that I'm just going to outright lie. I didn't say that when I did, or I said this when I didn't. But, I, you know, I, I may adjust the way my tone of voice would sound or I may I, – I know I've done that because when I am defending myself to others, I want to make myself look as good as I possibly can. At best, what's happening is Claudius, as you mentioned a second ago, he might not actually remember exactly how this happened. He may have worked out this whole scenario in his mind so that he can be the hero. And what what frightens me is that I know we do that too. I know we do that too. We like to think that our memories are these steel traps, that we know exactly how we behaved and exactly the words we said. Jackson, that is not the way it works. We tell ourselves these stories that put ourselves in the best light and we start to believe it. So it may be at this moment that Claudius even believes himself to be the savior of Paul, to be the hero of the story. Yeah, I don't think that that's a stretch on either side of that, whichever side that you take. I would probably lean towards, in my own understanding, the first point that you mm-hmm. made, that he's just trying to defend himself and make himself look good. And I do think that we tend to do that. I know that I tend to do that, especially because I have a big mouth. <laughs> I get myself into trouble a lot. Mm. Sometimes I overstep the line and cross too far into uncharted territory there, and I know that in my defense, especially recalling accounts like that to others, I do tend to try to make myself sound like a victim or to be paint myself in a positive light. Mm-hmm. So that way it takes the heat off of me, puts it on the other person who I believe is the villain in that situation. And I think that often, especially 
maybe even in the church, that sometimes when there is a misunderstanding or some type of argument going on, strife, something like that. People say that there's two sides to every story and that the truth is often somewhere in the middle. And I think that, that there's some merit to that because we are human. And when both sides are trying to defend their name, to paint themselves in a positive light as the victim, the truth gets embellished a little bit. And I think that's what's going on here. I think that's kind of the key word of this passage is kind of an embellishment of the truth. An embellishment of the truth, which, again, at best is I've got a problem where I even remember it. And there there are actually some significant stories just in our secular history, even recently, where people have done things like this. You can can hear about these situations where folks remember things, but they remember them completely different than they actually happened. The problem is that uh, news reporters and presidents and governors and senators and all of these folks are now learning that in a day and age in which things are being recorded and put on the Internet, when your memory doesn't match the actual event, folks figure it out and it becomes Mm. mm, a bit of a problem for their public careers. One of the things that I get out of this is that whether Claudius is straight up lying Mm -hmm. or whether he is actually in his own mind remembering it this way and thinks that he's telling the truth, for me, the lesson that I learned from that is I need to conduct myself every day in every action in the way I want it to be remembered. Mm. So you and I, as we're interacting with one another... I don't want to get to the end of the day and have to look back on an event and think, oh, I really wish it had happened this way. You know, maybe it did. And then convincing. I, I want to and I know I'm not going to live that way. I know that there's always going to be the mistakes. There's still I'm still growing. I'm going to sin. But my goal here in this moment is to live in a way that I don't have to embellish it, to live in a way that I don't have to modify it. And sometimes it's going to mean that I just have to be honest and, and own my failures, own my sins. But I I need to be conducting this moment in a way that says, at the end of this, I want to remember this exactly as it is, and I I want that to be the way I want it to be remembered. Does does that make sense what I'm saying to you there, Jackson? That does make sense. And I think if you're familiar with on the Internet, within the meme culture, there are these memes that start off with that feeling when or that moment when – And I've seen one recurring throughout my teenage years that says something along the lines of that feeling or that moment when you're in the shower five hours after the roast and it dawns on you what you should have said as a comeback to that person. (laughs) And you're like, oh, if only I would have said that in the heat of the moment, I would have won that, you know, that roasting session or that comeback. And I'm not here to tell you that you should roast your friends or get into, you know, yo mama joke battles with people. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I think that like what you were talking about with painting ourselves in the best positive light and rather than just perceive the truth that way we should live that way and so thinking after a conflict or some type of situation where you should have done something you realize oh I should have acted this way or I should have rather responded with grace in this way or I should have been kind in this situation I think that that kind of goes along with this too of you know if you're going to reflect on that and think about what you should have done we should try to go ahead and in the next opportunity apply that and have that grace have that kindness and act in the best possible light and allowing christ to shine through us in our interactions with others i'm i'm thinking through the illustration you just used and and i know that even as you made it you realized ooh, this doesn't sound quite I don't, I don't want people to get in the roasting session. Right. Isn't it interesting that when we review things, a lot of times 
even in the review, sometimes it's like, oh, I should have done this and that would have really stuck it to him. And mm. I should have done that. And that would have really caused right. me to win. Yeah. When we as Christians are actually supposed to be having this other exact opposite idea, you know, there's going to come a point at which when we've when we've responded in those negative ways, we're going to look back and wish, I wish I hadn't risen to that occasion. Mm. I wish I had not stepped up and gotten into that battle of words. Yeah. I wish I had shown the love and the grace. I was online the other day in, a, in one of the forums that I'm in just because I'm a pod, because we're podcasting yeah. uh, on Facebook and somebody had asked, how do you respond to the haters? And I immediately thought of what Jesus said about what we do with those who hate us and those who persecute us. And I know you've been teaching some classes on the Sermon of the Mount. You remember what Jesus says we're supposed to do with those folks? Pray for them. Um, love them despite how they treat you. Turn the other cheek. All of these things can be found in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. talks about responding with grace. And I think to your point, Sometimes we get caught up in trying to have the mic drop moment mm. that we forget I know I to respond with grace and with love as Jesus would have. And so that's a big lesson for me. And I think that this this reading today really causes me to uh, reflect on myself and the way that I treat others for sure. Before we wrap up your time with us, our time today, this week, one of the things I'm wanting to think about with this idea of making myself look good, because that's what Claudius is doing. He's either one made himself look good in his own memory and now thinks he's telling the truth or two, he knows he's fudging the facts, but he wants to make himself yeah. look good. I believe we live in a day and age where this making myself look good is is heightened to a daily moment by moment practice. We tend to walk around with our uh, our own image consultant in our mind that's trying to present that. But social media has made this a big, big deal. Has your experience with social media, what you've seen from others, maybe even your own involvement, because I know it's been with mine, have you seen how that's kind of taken over sometimes with social media? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It can be very easy to kind of toot your own horn, and you might not even be like like Claudius, who may have not understood that this is not the truth. I think that sometimes you can get on there and you think that you're trying to spread positivity, but actually you're just kind of tooting your own horn and, you know, making yourself out to be some type of philanthropist, activist, or something like that. And you're missing the whole point, And that is the love and grace and the truth and honest behavior. I'm making sure to always drop in the little moments about, oh, when I was talking to my kids about the scripture mm. and oh, when we were having our family Bible studies and those things might be, uh, those things might be happening. I'm not saying folks are lying about that, but it's, it's interesting that on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, so many of these other things that we have these carefully curated moments that we place online to make ourselves look good. And then, then there's the crazy thing. I get into the mind games with myself even because, I, you know, there, there then is that class of folks who, well, I'm going to be real and I'm going to be honest and I'm just going to put it all out there. I'm going to lay all of it on the table. Yeah. And for so many, that even becomes the, I want to make sure that you see me as this particular type of raw, authentic person because that's what's really cool in our day and age. And, and it, it so becomes about self-expression. I, I, we could talk for hours about this. Yeah, Our 15 minutes are up. Yeah. And so, look, Jackson, I know this is your last day with us as far as within this internship that we've had this summer. I am so glad that you've been here with us. Let me just – I know we've hit our time, but I want to – put the microphone on you for just a moment. Any final words you want to say just about what we've studied in Acts or your time on the podcast? I will say that this has been 
one of my favorite experiences of the program this summer. I didn't know that we were going to be doing this when I got here. I was very intimidated at the start of it, but I've grown to really look forward to these experiences, especially the kind of banter and uh, conversation I get to have with you. And I have found the book of Acts to be so uplifting, motivating, and applicable to my faith. I feel like I've always treated it as just kind of like a history account of first century Christianity, but it's not. It's the blueprints of our faith and why we believe what we believe. So it's it's fantastic. It's great. It's been a great experience being here with you. I'm glad you've been able to be a part of this. Just like I'm glad that everybody listening is a part of this, we'd like to invite you to let us know what you're reading, what you're learning. Text talk at christiansmeethere.org. Text talk at christiansmeethere.org. Jackson, why don't you lead us in a final prayer? All right. Father God, we thank you so much for this day that you've given to us. Lord, we're thankful for your mercy and for your grace and for your unending love that uh, you shed upon us each and every day and shower us with. We're thankful for your word and we're so thankful for the book of Acts. And we pray that as we go about our lives and we live in service to you, that we would have a clean conscience and that we would look to you and that we would try to be honest as possible and live pure lives and paint ourselves in the light of Christ, Lord, and that we would live to the fullest extent of his name and his glory. This prayer we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for talking about the text with us today. I'm Edwin Crozier, and I'd like to invite you to join the Christians Who Meet on Livingston Avenue this Sunday for our Bible classes and worship. You can find out more at christiansmeethere.org. Check out our daily written devotional that goes along with today's episode. You can find a link for it in our show notes. Michael Eldridge wrote and sang all four parts of our theme song. You can get more from him at acapeldridge.com. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast so others can learn about it more easily. Have a great day.